Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I've got the great pleasure of once again doing a little chat interview with Yancey Culp, OCR coach extraordinaire, and he's down there in Austin, Texas, coming to be one of the more notable coaches in the world of obstacle racing. Had great pleasure having a chance to meet him as we put on one of our running clinics down in Austin, working with a lot of his folks. Really, really pleased to have him to do a little bit of a recap on our visit and discuss some of the issues that we found, things that we thought might be interesting to talk about. Yancey, good morning, and thanks for coming on the show. Good morning, Richard. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me uh, again. And it was it was an absolute wonderful pleasure to hang out with you and Nicodemus and uh, and Miguel and. And, and many of my clients, my local clients that were able able to attend, that was uh, was fantastic. And I'm glad I had a chance to get down there. And it's a lot of what we do all the time. But I wanted to have a chance to share some of the work we do with you. So maybe give you a chance to think in terms of how this kind of work might fit into this type of coaching you do, athletes you work with. And I always love working with a great coach because – a lot of times it's like playing solitaire, you know, you, you get too much of your own stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm the first, uh, you know, I don't want to ever get to a point where I feel like I've stopped learning. And the, the, the clinic was a, uh, was a wonderful eye opener for me. And I went into it with this, I, I, I kind of, when I got out of the car that, that Saturday morning, I really want to kind of reset myself and open my mind the best I can. So I came into it, in, I think, in a very good place uh, to receive instruction. And it was, um, you know, sometimes in life you, you, you go to things. It might be a conference or a seminar or convention or something. You, I always try to rate, okay, let's go one to ten. How was that? And, you know, you leave some of those, you're like, ah, you I didn't learn much, and then some of them you leave, and you're just you're super excited. And I, I was I left those two days, and I was super excited. Cool. I got to tell you, it's 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 interesting because a lot of people think that the focus of my work is performance oriented, and of, of course it is. But the majority of the people that I see and work with and help come to me because they're injured. Mm-hmm. Or they've been dealing with nagging injuries and it's just not going away. You know, they may go through some physical therapy, seen their doctor a few times, forced to back off training for a bit. And it just seems to be just this nagging, nagging, you know, reoccurring problem. I get in there and basically show them the root of the problem and make some corrections to the way they're moving and then they're able to get back in the game. And we actually saw that happen with a couple of your athletes over that weekend. Yeah, there's uh, I, I, many of my athletes left there feeling the same way that I did. And because I, you nailed it, I, I just about every athlete, and, it, and it's kind of exacerbated in OCR because we are putting our body through, through more of a, uh, a grind on race day, and, you know, most athletes go through some nagging injuries throughout the year. But when you summarize most of those injuries, you know, other than other than shoulder issues, which is kind of a big one, you know, I think it's safe to say that the majority of them stem from, from injuries that are caused from running. And, you know, as we were doing our little prep before we came on, you know, I, I mentioned 
for me, coming from the middle distance background, from middle school, high school, college, and all throughout, you know, most of my competitive running was was 5K and under. You know, I think my at my best, you know, the 400 to the mile was kind of my my best competitive range. So, obviously, we're not going to put as many miles on our body um, compared to a to a to an ultra distance or a marathon or a distance runner. So I've never I've never really dealt with any injuries. I just my body's always held up. So obviously it wasn't something that maybe was on you know the top of my mind always. But I've you know I've done it I've done a few long races now, death race and world's toughest motor multiple times and some some longer semi ultra runs. You know, and I was having some minor issues that crept in and never crept in before. And um, you know, you really shed the light on a few things when 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 you put me on video. It's funny, I got to thinking, you know, I, I doubt most coaches have ever spent time really critiquing themselves when it comes to what you critiqued that, that day. And I found that there was, you know, you, you spotted a few little minor things. And, and I think one of the most refreshing things that happened that day, and it wasn't just me coming from a coach's perspective, it was the athletes. You know, the clinic was two days long, but there was about an hour, one to two hour period where you very efficiently and in a very way in a, in a way that was very easy to understand you you put some bullet point items out there and then had us do some things physically and it just tied it together really well and every one of us left there feeling like okay we can, we can almost kind of coach ourselves now a little bit here we'd like to get some follow up but wow that clinic I took something from there where I can literally put that into work every single day. And um, so, yeah, that was it was a very impactful moment for me. You know, I have to share with you that uh, yesterday morning I had a couple OCR athletes come and do a private session with me. And these were people that have participated in my clinics in the past. This was like the next level. So no more baby steps, no more ABCs. We're going to put some work together. And it's interesting for me because I rarely get to that place with other athletes because I don't typically have athletes in my neighborhood that I work with regularly that have a chance to get to this place in the game. It's a big, big difference when you're no longer having to talk about those deal points about the way they're moving. You're no longer having to guide them through some of the mistakes they're making. Just getting onto the work. It was just really, really fun to see a couple of these athletes. Actually, it was Courtney Knapp and uh, Mikkel Jackson. And we uh, we just got to work. So I got them on the track, and I had them doing some heart rate-specific uh, lactate tolerance drills. Had them run a 5K and just orchestrated the thing where all I had to do was sit back and watch. And they absolutely nailed it. The beauty of that is knowing that at that point in the game, when they do throw down and they do put in the work, that they're doing it without anything that's causing them any harm. So they can just unadulteratedly go after the work and come away from it, listening from the work but not beaten down from having done something that injured themselves. Exactly. I I like to try to, with my clients, I, I, I like to try to throw some impactful information, kind of something that's like, wow, kind of a punch, like a smack you upside the head moment, and your eyes open up and, um, I was crunching some numbers, and you, you brought up Ryan Hall and uh, his vertical oscillation, and um, you know I was crunching my own numbers, and I had my wife shoot some video on me because one of the things I felt when I went out for a couple runs after your testing is like when you kind of look out and you you know you're looking at trees and bushes and various things, and you kind of feel your 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 up and down movement, and I just had this sense that it wasn't quite as much, and sure enough, I sh- you know I don't know exactly what it was before, I just know it was more. And so I'm, I'm kind of shooting some numbers at my clients, and I, and I, over the course of a marathon, so for all the listeners out there, maybe you've never looked at it this way. So I crunch these numbers, and over the course of a marathon, if you're, if you're going up four inches and down four inches, that's 259,200 inches up and down. Let's say you cut that down to two inches up, two inches down, you're now looking at 129,600 inches up and down. If you look at that over for feet, four inches up, four inches down, that's 21,600 
vertical and up and down feet versus 10,800 feet. We, I think it's safe to say that the majority of even competitive runners have never, you know, seen a number jump off the page like that. And, you know, you gave, when you first talked about Ryan Hall, it was kind of like, wow, surely that can't be accurate. But I had never put pen to paper and said, wow, no, it's exactly like that. That's a massive number. You're talking about saving 10,800 feet of up and down, unnecessary up and down motion um, with with making some minor changes that we did. Um, so that was just that was crazy to me when <laughs> when I saw that on paper. Yeah, well, the I guess to to be more clear on what that whole thing was about, I saw a video oh. clip where they were analyzing the amount of up and down motion that Ryan Hall would exhibit as he was running. And this was early on, and I have to tell you, since I saw this, his running has improved dramatically. Apparently somebody brought it to his attention and he went to work on it, but they figured out that he was giving way about three miles in a marathon to vertical oscillation. So rather than being three miles ahead, he was going up and down to the tune of three miles. They also put it into context. They said it was like going, running to the top of the Empire State Building and back down <laughs> was the amount of loss that he created in a, in a marathon distance. Well, here's the, I think, so to wrap that up of why I would bring that up is I I think many coaches, including myself, have been guilty at various times throughout their, their training world, their training life, at you have an athlete that's just, unbelievably gifted and let's take ryan hall and so you 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 kind of focus on performance and wow look at the times and let's let's you know how high how fast can we get this guy or girl and like you said it sounds like somebody finally said hey let's this is a phenomenal gifted athlete one of the best of all time let's look at tweaking this and this and maybe his efficiency and his injury rate and everything improves um, you know, from from the Michael Johnsons and the one, two, four hundred meter world to the to the Ryan Halls and, and, the, and the ultra distance, you know, things are magnified even more the longer. You, as far as injuries go, I think they're magnified the longer the distance gets. But as far as pure performance, the shorter the distance, um, you know, a fraction of a second now is making a dramatic impact. So it really doesn't matter what distance you run. You know what your specialty is is something that um, you know I'm I'm going to do my best at least with my clients to to make sure they do. You know, you mentioned something that was very I think it was a good way to put it was let's say let's say you say okay I'm going to do one fewer race this year. So you take registration, hotel, and an airline ticket. I'm going to do one fewer race. That right? You you've just now you have the money to invest in, in, in maybe it's once a quarter, whatever it is, however they're able to, to work with you and I, you know, moving forward and, and tie it into their OCR training. You now have the money to invest and you've, you, you've sacrificed one race, but hey, let's keep racing when we're 60 years. Let's, let's be racing when we're 60 years old because we're not dealing with the, uh, some of the injuries that we would have had. Well, the, the unfortunate thing is oftentimes – because of the love of the sport or the peer pressure, guys end up, girls end up racing when they shouldn't be. And they never seem to find the time to get back to making the corrections so that they can get back to health, get back to a better body, and perform at the level that they're capable of. Because they, they never seem to get the advantage that their body would provide them if they gave it a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for, for whatever it's worth, whether it be investing in, in coaching with us or or what have, have you, taking the time, and by the way, this, this, in my opinion, is the time. Right now, this time of the year, is probably the best time to just basically clear the deck, clear off your desk and say, okay, let's just take a look, let's take stock of what we're doing well, what we're doing wrong, what we can improve upon, uh, getting a VO2 test maybe to find out heart rate responses and maybe start to go to work on developing a base of aerobic conditioning, uh, working on the skill sets, not having the pressure of racing, not having the pressure of competing 
but just getting out there and making the corrections necessary so that when you do get back in the game, you're going to be at a much better place and able to take on more and more work. No, it's the year you're, you nailed it. it. It is the time of year. I know I'm not the only coach doing this, but we're, you know, I've got my athletes in a, in an aerobic base building cycle, we're in training cycle. We're not, there's very few to no races on the schedule and it's, uh, it is a, it is a great time, and that's that's what a, a lot of our so there's not a lot of fast explosive uh, work going on right now. We we're, we're spending a significant amount of time on the road base, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Do me a favor, talk me through what a typical day would look like with one of your clients when they're doing one of your workouts. Um. This time of year, or when we're sharpening up for a certain race, um, you know, th- this time of year, I'll, you know, if we do, I think the biggest difference in a traditional, if I'm training a traditional track athlete, or, or just a just a pure runner versus OCR, the running is going to be very similar. But what we are trying to accomplish in the world of OCR is like. My little grip and pull strength trainer that I developed, for example, the what that allows us to do. Let's say we go out for a, for a ninety minute run, or I'll say a sixty minute run. What we're going to want to try to do is work in some some actual obstacle specific strength training into our run. Uh, we might stop every ten minutes and quickly. You know, we want to we want to avoid any significant break periods. We want to be able to. It might be a tree limb, or it might be you throwing the trainer up over the tree, and we're going to knock out some pull, some pull strength work. We may do some lower body uh, strengthening, about about 90 seconds to two minutes of training, and then we're back on the trail where we don't we don't allow any drastic deviation in where our uh, where our heart rate was on our uh, on our aerobic based building run. Um, you know, we're that's. There's a million different things we can do during that run, but that's 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 kind of how a basic workout would look compared to somebody that's a Ryan Hall, for example. You know, he has no business going. He's not going to go out there and work that stuff into his running. So what we're even in our aerobic base building period, we're still kind of working on the adaptation that that's needed to. So what kind of happens out on on course? Um, you know, this time of year, though, I, I, I'm really big on making. I want them to tie everything together. I, you know, I'll say at the end of every workout, make sure you tie all this together. We can do some of these exercises, but let's. We come in from that run, that 10 minutes. Let's get our exercises in, and let's go back out. And I don't want to see a drastic deviation in in heart rate. I, I want I want us to get that 60 or 90 minutes in with that consistent heart rate. Um, so the the whole energy system, everything that needs to happen in that Krebs cycle in the energy system is is happening for a long period of time um, versus short bouts of, of of time. So that's that's a basic look at at one typical workout that I would uh, throw at them from, from time to time. So in essence, what you're saying is you'd have them do ten minute intervals of running at a base heart rate along with some. Uh, functional strength grip exercises. Correct. Okay. I think that's pretty typical, and I think you're spot on with that. I I would not deviate. I would I would have people always engage their strength training, especially now, and dependent upon what their capacities were with their heart rate responses, I would try to focus on good recovery during the work so that you you just don't hammer out the run between uh, interval sets of exercise. I would have them kind of try to keep things under control, especially when I have people do hill repeats and the, and the like. I always have them bring their heart rate back down at least to about 120 beats per minute, and that usually is dependent upon whether I've tested them or not. But um, I always have them come back so that they, they can clear some of that lactate out, get their body used to moving that waste out and getting back to capable of doing the work. Yeah, one of the one of the neat things that you see happening – when you take a, a, a athlete coming from just a true, a pure track and field background, distance running background, and 
let's say we take an athlete, uh, Hunter, Isaiah, Ryan, or Rose, and Amelia, any of them that have been working in working in the obstacle course race world for a while. What you'll see happen, and I've 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 talked to runners post race. This, this is their first race, and they come from a big running background, and they're just wrecked after the simplest of obstacle and wrecked for like a half a mile. And you're and, and you and I know that wow that that runner has an amazing aerobic base. He can run a five k faster, a minute faster than any of the guys or girls we just listed. But they're wrecked, and it's it's really neat what happens. When you when you start tying in, we're basically we're creating obstacles in that aerobic base building run. Um, in certain times it might be a tempo pace run, and there's certain times it might be you know around the 75 to 80 uh, percent of, of max heart rate. You know, and you take that athlete and you incorporate that stuff. We're still accomplishing the same thing we would have accomplished if we just went out and did the long run, but we're we're throwing in. And I think some of it's even mental. There's absolutely a physical dynamic going on there as far as, you know, one of the key things in obstacle course racing is your ability to, I preach this so much to my athletes, is the moment the obstacle is finished, how quickly can we get back to a a fast, comfortable running pace, smooth, efficient, fast, comfortable running pace. And that's where some of the pure runners struggle with it first. And they see themselves, and they're, they're discouraged, like, you know, how did this how did this Hunter, Isaiah and Ryan guy or, or Rose and, and Amelia that obviously they don't look like an Olympic trial ten K or marathon frame, how did they beat me by three, four, five minutes? Well that's one of the big reasons. That's one of the big reasons. Well, let me share with you I'm just sitting here thinking about it and it made sense to me in my own little mind. A typical runner I'll give you a really good example. Someone like Nicodemus Holland. Here's mm-hmm. a guy that can run 200 miles without sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, simply just go out there and tear up a bunch of mountains and do it without any sleep. He's got an aerobic engine that's just so, so efficient. He went to a world's championship at Lake Tahoe, and that 14 miles just beat him to death. Yeah. And I'm, I'm coming... I'm coming from him now. He's, this is basically what he told me because he couldn't believe how anaerobic he was over the course of that whole event. And so here's what happens. When you're regionally creating waste, so in other words, you're running along and your muscles in your legs are generating a lot of this lactate, typically what occurs is your body goes into what's called the lactate shuttle system and it'll push that lactate into regions of your body that are quiet. So your chest, your back, your arms, areas that are not typically under load. Mm-hmm. And then that lactate will reside there and or allow it to be pushed back into your liver and converted back into a usable energy source, sugar, or you respirate it. Now, you take an OCR athlete who's been putting a lot of work into his upper body, a lot of grip strength, and a lot of this almost dynamic, almost isometric exercise in his upper body, and he's generating a lot of lactate up there as well, and he's intuitively learning to dispel that lactate in his upper body. So you get a guy that's not accustomed to dealing with that generation of lactate up in his upper body region, he's got conflict. He's got no place to put it when he all of a sudden he created all this waste. So this ends up being the problem for them. So you can't divorce the upper body strength or exercises while you're developing your lower body because it just won't work. You you, you need to find uh, those solutions metabolically while you're moving. Uh, you know, just I'm sitting here kind of ferreting through this in my own mind and trying to figure it out. But in essence, what I think physiologically is that in the absence of having that experience with that upper body strength and upper body tension, you just don't know how to contend with it when it comes about. Yeah, it's so true. And that's, you know, a little bit of method to my madness of of just racing so much over the past five years and trying to race as many different kinds of races and see as many obstacles as I could see is, you know, you you would have been doing the same thing. Um, You know, when when we finish that race, we sit down and we're analyzing things just differently than the typical runner. I'm I'm trying to take detailed notes on exactly what happened. How did my body feel and what areas did it feel it, you know, the half mile of running after that obstacle, 
you know, this new obstacle that Spartan Battlefrog or whoever threw at me, that just wrecked. It just felt different. I struggled more after that obstacle. And when you look at the obstacle and you really break it down, you start to understand why. And then, obviously, there that can tweak your programming a little bit. There may be a little more of a certain exercise that you throw in in that two-minute break on your 60-minute run. Um, so those kind of things are – It's and I know you, know you know this. You and I talked about this. It's it's not about you know being a good obstacle course or, or or a top level obstacle course racer is not about it's never going to be about just going and crushing yourself in a workout. If we're going to spend an hour a day, we really want to maximize that hour. And if I throw this in versus that, maybe that half mile run after that obstacle, I'm going to be 18 seconds faster over that half a mile. Well, let me tell you something. If you're talking about finishing top 10, that's dramatic. That's not extremely dramatic for an open category racer, but, you know, I, I, I don't want to categorize them as any different. I, I want them to, to be doing the same thing as, as the elites. They're just not, not doing it quite as fast, uh, maybe not doing it quite as many reps, but they're, you know, I think the cool thing about obstacle course racing is in the simplest of sports, Training-wise, there has to be method to the madness, but in obstacle course racing, that's just expounded times 10 because, my goodness, I mean, it's kind of like looking at training a decathlete and then throwing a lot more on top of that. I mean, it's you're, you're combining so much when we're in on my best day 10 years from now. There will be no such thing as a perfect program. It, it's just not – it can't happen because – and that's kind of what makes it cool for us athletes and trainers is the course designers. They're throwing something new at us. You've got terrain, distance, and obstacles, three basic things that could be different at any given time, especially terrain and obstacles. So that is just – that's kind of a really cool game changer uh, that, that gets us excited when we get a chance to work with uh, obstacle course racers. Yeah, I was reading uh, about this rig and battle frog they just put together for the championships. I think it was like eighty feet long. Yeah. So you got a you got a uh, an exercise where the time under tension, the amount of time that you're loading up your upper body and your grip strength, you're definitely not going to get a big guy that's going to get through that as well as a as a smaller guy. It's just not going to be the same deal. So you got these game changers. And it, it just really does throw a lot of complexity into the race overall. Once I saw the, once I saw the layout of that rig, they did something very interesting. They, in three sections, on one of them, they threw a foothold in there, where you could actually, if you really focused on the layout of it, and it crushed me that I couldn't be there. I just my this football team that I trained was in the state semifinal playoff game, but. They put these footholds there that allowed you kind of a rest period. So, you know, I, I always talk to my athletes about, you know, that, okay, let's, 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 if we need to, let's get our heart rate down. And, we, you know, we, I talk about that zero to eight second anaerobic phase. And, you know, we can do a lot in eight seconds. There's a lot we can do in our life in eight seconds. If we, you know, we, and I'm like, go, and it's kind of like that use it or lose it the first phase of the 400 meters, you know, you don't want to go out and jog that, you know, go mile pace or just sloshing a little pace that first 50 meters. You want to go out and get that first 50 meters in the, in the 400 meters. And it's kind of like the same thing on that rig. You know, I always tell my athletes, I want to be fast and efficient in that first eight seconds. If I can get eight feet farther in that first eight seconds, I'm way ahead of the ball game. Well, what they did is that that was actually kind of three rigs in one because they created a period where you could rest, put your feet on there, wrap your arms around the rope, let your heart rate come down, and then attack it again. I I, I wish I could have seen seen it well in advance, and I would have coached my athletes. You know, we'd have had a little longer session of talking about that rig. Um, so mentally, it looked much more daunting than it actually was because they put those three rest periods in there. Yeah, I guess the question is whether you would actually take the rest. Yeah, you know, if you can if you can get really comfortable in a rest, 
you know, if, you, if for example, on a rope climb, you know, if you can get a, if you have a really good footlock, I mean, you can you can really rest. Um, and for something like for that rig, it's so long, and there's so many. Your hands are going to be on so many ho- different holds, and you're going to be on that rig way way past <laughs> that eight second, you know, anaerobic period. So um, I, I think I think some of them were able to. I actually coached one of my athletes through one of the rigs. We talked three times on the phone. Um, and, uh, so anyway, she was, she was able to, to get a little bit of a rest period, um, while, uh, while, while standing on that, on one of the rings. But anyway. Well, it's all good fun. I, I just think that the, as you suggested with time, they're going to keep making it tougher. They're going to keep making it more entertaining. And I think 2016 is going to be an interesting year all around. Yeah, it is. I, I, you know, you, you you talked about something there that's going to be an interesting game changer. Um, I you can only make them so tough, and because here's one of the most unique things that's two things that I want to see happen in our in our sport. Um, I was so so pumped to see the OCR World Championships. Adrian and those guys released that they're going to have a 3K distance. So so important because now that immediately made us more legitimate. If you look at the world of track and field and swimming and a few other sports where now we start talking about, you know, as well as I do, you can't take an athlete and unwrap, completely unwrap their genetic package and give them a brand new genetic package. It's just not going to happen. So now we have this three K distance. I talked with Nick Simmons at the, the, the running clinic and, um, all, you know, you see his eyes light up here. He is a world-class 800 meter runner that can also run a, 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 a from a 5K down, he's a pretty darn good runner. His eyes are not going to light up at a 10 to 15 mile race. Period. He know he doesn't matter how long he trains, he can't come in and win a 10 to 15 mile obstacle race. But he can come in and win a 3K race. So now you start talking about opening the eyes of elites and other sports, and they have these options. I'm really hoping Spartan does it. I hope there's 15,000 people or 100,000 people listening to this podcast. Everybody needs to get on Spartan and say, when are you going? You have these different distances. Right now, they're longer race. They put more onus on that. There's, you, you score more points if you win the beast than you do the sprint. That needs to change, and I really hope Spartan says, okay, we are going to have multiple distances like track and field and swimming and others, and now you appeal to a broader genetic package of athletes. And I just... I really hope that happens. And then back to the other thing that you brought up was that at a certain point, because where our sport is now, spectators aren't generating the revenue. Open category athletes are generating the revenue. That's where they get the majority of their revenue. One day, spectators may drive the revenue. It's not happening yet. But when, as long as athletes are driving it, you – you don't want 90% of your athletes going home saying, I failed eight obstacles. Right. Well, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like the thing that you said that makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I kind of, when I first looked at the sport, and I'm new to it, uh, the first thing that I looked at was that there's got to be some division where you say, okay, we're going to have a 5K OCR World Championship, a 10K um, a super distance, if you want to call it that, or a long course or uh, ultra distance event where you have champions of each category. It's like in, in boxing. You don't expect the featherweight to go in and beat the uh, you know the super heavyweight. He's not going to do it, right? That's right. So I just think that it's important that somewhere along the way, especially as Joe DeSena was always saying that he's interested in seeing if he can push this into the Olympics, the only way it's going to happen is if you develop these uh, divisions and and or it probably won't be a function of having six or seven different divisions that are going to go to the Olympics. It'll probably be some middle distance event just like they did with triathlon where it's an Olympic course. Uh, there'll be an Olympic course OCR event. Yeah, and I, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple world-class triathletes and I – I don't necessarily feel that triathlon got it right. Um, there, I think they pick, you know, they pick kind of the mid distance 
But I prefer, I much rather prefer the, the track and the swimming model where, you know, you take 10 people and all, you know, 10 of them are, are, are just, they're going to have a different genetic package. We may have three that much more slow twitch, three that much more fast twitch, some in between, you know, that, that those in-betweeners, those are our decathletes. Um, and, uh, but the multiple distances, you know, we, we found over the years that speed sells, I mean, speed sells. People like watching people run fast. That Washugal Spartan race where Cody and Bracken and those guys were flying down the mountain, you know, four-mile race. That was so exciting to watch. I love I love long-distance stuff, but, but speed sells. I mean, it really – people like watching people do things fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it also gets down to the complexity of the course – Mm-hmm. You know, the the longer it is, the harder it is to keep everything under wrap. Yeah. So I don't know. There's so many variables that are going to play into it. Uh, it might be that the Olympic course is a little bit too long. Yeah, I I, I would love. I wish there were three distances in the Olympics and triathlon, and so do hundreds of thousands of triathletes. They they would agree with me. Um, it's a different animal to see a sprint triathlon in the Olympics. Yeah, and then. Heck yeah, have the Ironman. I mean, we have thousands of, of, of triathletes in, in Austin. It's a very popular training ground around here. And, you know, guys that, it's guys that um, when, the, when all the local sprints, they understand. They have enough exercise physiology background to understand that I'm never going to win Ironman. Um, and... Just as there's there's plenty of people that understand that, you know, Dave Scott is not going to in his prime. There were 15 people that could beat him in triathlon sprints. That's just simple science. Um, you know, Usain Bolt's never going to win. Usain Bolt could never beat Nick Simmons in the 800, and Nick Simmons could never beat Usain Bolt in the 100. I don't care how long we trained him; it's never going to happen. So let's just. That's why I love seeing, you know, it's like, wow, here's something for every single person that that is that was born with an amazing genetic package. OCR has something for them. Um, and, I, you know, that may not happen for a while, but I'm telling you right now, that 3K race, my thing with OCR World Championships, I was like, you guys got to promise us that the media attention, the podium presence, the prize money, everything's going to be 100% equal to the longer race. If you do it any other way, it's 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 childish. You know, we've got to. If we're going to say we have a three k championship race, and then this ten miler over here, you've got to make those those have to be presented as equal races. Um, and now all of a sudden, we've we've really got something. Yeah. So, so in essence, what you're saying is that at the currently the uh, longer races have more prize money. And I'll use Spartan as an example. For the last two or three years. If you win the beast, it's 300 points. Next week, you go win a super, it's 294 points. The next week, you win a sprint, it's 288 points. What about the cash? I'm not a fan of that. The cash is the same, but the points, but but again, the, the cash for that specific race is the same, but you could win five sprints five high-profile sprints and somebody could get a first two seconds and two-thirds in a beast and they're going to beat you even though you won five races so i think that needs i'm a man i'm a spartan bandwagoner all the all the way but that's one thing that i think definitely needs to change what about the burpee out versus uh losing your uh your ticket like they do in battle frog well i've you know, I've said this before to Battlefrog. The, the the model right now works okay because uh, you know they've got a thousand people running through their course. But logistically, you're going to set up these rigs and all these obstacles. And if you snapped your fingers and had Spartan numbers and you had eight thousand people running through that course, because what happens is you end up having twenty, thirty, forty people at OCR Worlds and Battlefrogs sitting at certain obstacles and waiting. And yeah. that that's two things. One, it's not good TV. It's just going to look – people on TV are like, what in the world's going on here? 
but two, you create major situations at, you know, now you're having to say, okay, do we, we need to build a second rig over here identical to this rig so we have good pass-through. It's, um, you know, the, there's, if you got eight, twelve thousand 12,000 people in a day, that's a, that's a lot of people passing through that course. And, and Battlefrog, uh, oh, sure, World Championship doesn't have to deal with it because it's a qualifying race, and you're never going to see eight, ten thousand people the way Adrian has it set up, which is a, it's just a phenomenal race. If you, if you pick one race to to attend next year, Richard, that it's up in the Toronto, north of Toronto, about an hour and a half north, up in the Blue Mountains. That's that's just such an epic, epic race of hmm. twenty uh, something countries. And but anyway, you know, it's a tough, um, tough decision. I think. Um, I, there's no way you'd ever see 30 burpees as a penalty in the Olympics. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing I give to Spartan though is that they single-handedly created a fitness movement that swept not just this country but swept the world with that little burpee. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they gave it they gave it a new life and it took it took hold and ran. So, you know, maybe it's not the the, the penalty that, that that stands forever, but they darn sure were genius in creating a fitness movement. Uh, around it so we basically have three we've got world's toughest mutter who does a run a running distance i like that because it's very black and white it can't be cheated it's it's just very black and white it's they're always long enough to where you don't want to fill that obstacle and do go do that 600 meter run that's kind of a nightmare for an obstacle that only takes you four seconds to complete um the burpees are there's there's always gonna be a little gray area you have to have detailed strict testing and then battle frog it's like you make it or you're done um i personally love that i love ocr world championships and battle frogs you make it or you're done i'm a good obstacle guy that's that's one of my strengths i love i'm really good at completing obstacles um i just i worry that we have thousands of people going home every day and man i failed eight obstacles today and here's the one key thing with this, and I think this is a big, this is a big game changer. You and I could take ninety percent of those open category athletes, and this is not a knock on them. I've just trained enough people in my life, and some of those rigs, monkey bars, some of those obstacles that Ryan Atkins and others just blow through with, I mean, zero problem. I'll tell you right now, there Ryan Atkins does not have any issue at all on that battle frog course that last rig at spartan he does not have any issue with it we had a few beers and went back down to the course in tahoe and i said ryan let's see how many times we can go down and back this rig that was the longest rig in obstacle course racing history at its time ryan atkins went down back down and halfway back down trust me he didn't have any problem with the obstacles but i could take 90 percent of people that do and there's a large percentage of those that no matter how I train them, there's a good chance they may not ever complete all those obstacles. They're going to get much better, and we might get them there. But there's just a decent percentage of people that – so that's where you have to that's, – that's, that's, that's the tough call. You know, how hard do you, how hard do you make it? Um, it's not about creating an obstacle that's so hard that Ryan Atkins can't do it. That's not the vision that we want. If anybody's thinking that, you've got, I think you have to stop looking at it from that direction um, because then you have a course that only one person's going to do, and he might not even do it, and that's just a disaster. Um, Ryan loves being challenged that way, but um, he's just a, he's an amazing athlete. But as long as the masses are driving the revenue, we have to um, we got to make sure we, we keep that in mind. Well, I, I think the other thing to consider, too, is that, I think part of what they're trying to do is not let people get complacent with the courses. They don't want you to get so comfortable with it that you, you're you not shocked by what you're running into. They're always changing. And I think that there's probably going to be a limit to that as well. I think that you're going to get to a place where the courses need to be relatively standardized if, again, if it's going to become uh, a competition on a professional level, for whatever it's worth. Getting back to the whole concept of running and off-season, yeah. um, I want to get back to that for a minute before we wrap this all up. And I've been banging my drum about it, 
And I started out on it a little bit here, and I'm going to I'm going to try to conclude with that thought, which is those that are listening that are racing and hoping to do better next year, take the next month, take the winter time, depending on where you live. Sometimes in the in the East Coast, they're forced to take a lot of time out and get indoors, but I think it's really important that this is the time that you start to work on developing your skill sets. Get rid of those injuries. Go to work on developing the talents that are going to help you reduce the potential for the injuries you're facing when you're competing. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't, I mean, obviously it's what I do, but the reason I do it is because that's where the most attention seems to be needed. People are hurting themselves. If I could stop people from hurting, I feel like I've done my job. Well, for, for everybody out there who's listening, that, that may happen to be one of my clients, current clients, or, or thinking about training with me, is you know I'm comfortable in letting you know right now today that that I'm going to be, you know, partnering with Richard in some form or fashion as far as encouraging you to 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 be able to. It's something that I'm honest in saying that it's it's one aspect that I can help you with at like a first grade level. Richard can help you in this area at a at a much more advanced level. And I'm I'm comfortably telling you, it doesn't bother me to say this, that go to him and help yourself get some instruction. It's going to benefit you and myself as far as our program moving forward. Um, it might simply mean that we get through a full 12 months and, and with, with almost no injury, if, if any injury. Um, it might mean that we run a little faster, a little more efficient. Um, but no matter what it means for you, myself, personally, I received benefit. I, I benefited from the, the, the two days, and I, I left there excited. That it, so, And I'm 43, you know, so for me to still be you know, <laughs> to get excited about running faster and is you know is pretty cool. So I can only imagine for somebody in their twenties, thirties that has their their competitive career ahead of them. Uh, at my age, I'm just I'm, I'm having fun hanging on. But it was weird. I almost felt like, wow, maybe I'm not hanging on anymore. Maybe I'm going to be able to. I just I just subtracted some years. Maybe <laughs> you're going to so, get faster. Yeah, I, I really I really feel that uh, I'm excited about that, and, and I'm actually a little more excited about. Because I know it's not my genetic wheelhouse, but I get excited about going out and doing a 50-miler. I'm a tad more excited about that now. And, and testing out, you know, wow, I didn't, have, I didn't have two weeks of knee tendonitis afterwards. I didn't have the IT issues, so, so whatever. But anyway, I, I encourage you to, to contact, you know, Richard and I. And uh, sometime throughout the year, think about... Um, looking into investing a little bit of your time and, and money, especially if you're serious about this. Um, maybe you're just a serious jogger. You just want to jog forever. If, if that's you as my client, I still encourage you to, to take the time and, uh, and, and look into this. Okay, I don't want to kick a dead horse, but I, I do want to say this because I think it was interesting. When I met Matt Campione, Matt came to me scheduled for a private session and a VO2 test prior to doing the run clinic on Sunday. He came to me, first thing out of his mouth was, look, Richard, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this test. I injured my hamstring, and I just don't think I'm going to be able to run. So we spent probably 15 minutes taking a look at the way he was moving, making some adjustments to the way he was moving. He was able to run for me at 11.5 miles per hour on the treadmill without pain. He looked like a deer in the headlights looking at me. He goes, I can't believe that I was able to run that fast without any sensation of that hamstring whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And all we did was shift the position he was in while he was making contact with the deck when he was running. He further told me that he didn't feel comfortable pushing during the VO2 test, so we were just going to take him over a threshold and we're going to call it a day. He ended up with the highest VO2 score of the day and was able to pound it out until I stopped him. And he had no issue with his hamstring. He was blown, The whole weekend he was blown away by the fact that he didn't have any problem with his hamstring after having spent about 15 minutes getting that sorted out. So to me, that's a home run. I like to talk about things like that because 
I was able to save him from hurting himself further. And that's more important to me than someone coming to me and saying, well, I got a PR. Ultimately, what will happen is he will end up running faster because just it's a matter of physics. He's putting himself in a better place. Inertia is going to be on his side as opposed to working against him. He's going to be a better runner. And I wanted to say this, too. I, I noticed a post that you were contributing money to Tim Sinnott's uh, medical bills. And that touched me that you were doing that. And I wanted to chime in and say this. For the next couple of weeks leading into Christmas, if someone contacts me and says they want to do some work with me, I will contribute 50% of the money they pay me towards that payment. Or just show me that you paid that much to the GoFund account for them, and I will credit you that difference. Because uh, I just think that if we can't give back to the sport, we can't give back to the people that are involved in this sport, then, then what are we doing, right? That's very, uh, very, very cool. They can contact me going to diazhumanperformance.com, D-I-A-Z-humanperformance.com, or they can message me on Facebook at the Natural Running Network or my personal page, Richard Diaz, and just tell me that they're interested in doing some work and what I typically charge a client for whatever work we're doing. I'll, I'll have them contribute 50%. They show me that they gave that money to them via uh, GoFund, I guess it is, right? Yeah, that was uh, Maddie Gregg. Amelia and Maddie um, started that. And if you go to, if you go on Facebook and just look at Maddie's, uh, find Maddie's page, and it was shared by multiple, multiple people, um, that's where you'll find the, uh, the the donation info. Okay, well, cool. Whatever, whatever it is, as long as they show me that they kicked in the money, I'm only going to charge them whatever half uh, I would normally charge. Very cool. Good people. I've only met them once, but Rose and Tim are great folks, and if I can do a little something to help them out, I'd like to do it. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.